Hello there. This is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it. <laughs> um, welcome, listeners. Hello, and hi, Kyle. Indeed. Hello, Benny. How are you today? Um, I'm doing all right. I uh, just had lunch, um, and that's why I was a little late to our recording session, but um, now I'm ready to uh, record some Doctor Who with you. Nice. This is actually a, a kind of a special episode because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Benny, or not, but the episode that we are recording now is going to air on November 21st, which our very first episode aired on November 23rd of 2019. So nice. this is like our anniversary episode, basically. Oh, happy anniversary, Kyle. <laughs> happy anniversary. Happy Doctor who anniversary. Uh, I will mention that our first episode airing on November 23rd, 2019, the original air date of An Unknown Child, that is, of course, to say An Unearthly Child, was actually November 23rd, 1963, which was the 56th pre-anniversary of The Doctor's Watcher. Nice. So, good for them for starting on our pre-anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, a total coincidence, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit before we get into it is that in a previous episode, you mentioned that you'd just finished watching The Mandalorian and how the two middle episodes had been totally filler and could have been removed entirely and had an excellent series left over anyway without them. Right. And I just rewatched all the Mandalorian episodes in preparation for the uh, the new uh, season kicking off this week. And man, you are totally right. Those uh, <laughs> those middle two episodes really don't add a whole lot. Yeah, um, like I loved them. They're great episodes, but yeah, they are not like actually part of the story. Like I I, I love the Mandalorian. I love Star Wars so much, Kyle. And I love the Mandalorian. But even I, I honestly can't say I loved. Um, both of those episodes, the uh, the gunslinger, the one about like the young punk guy who wants to be a bounty hunter, and he like he's so obnoxious, and just the whole episode kind of stunk. Um, it had um, like McNawen, and it just totally wasted her character. Yeah, and, like she's honestly shame. barely even in it, and like um, yeah, uh, the. The other one, the one with the, the jailbreak um, on the, the prison ship, that one I thought was better, at least had better action in it. Um, and it had Clancy Brown as a big, strong Deveronian, which I thought was pretty rad. Um, yeah. He's been a voice actor on a couple of Star Wars shows, but never live action before. So seeing him in Star Wars was pretty cool. I can't remember if I said these same things the last time we brought up the Mandalorian, but uh, I don't hopefully it's been so. a while. <laughs> hopefully it's been a while, and our audience has forgotten it. So, but uh, the one downside of seeing Clancy Brown, you know, 
being this big strong fighter is i know that in real life he's like <laughs> in his 70s or 80s or something and i'm just like <laughs> he's so old leave him alone <laughs> uh, quit beating up on him yeah that's fair hi this is benny with a quick correction clancy brown is 61 years old i am so sorry mr clancy brown please don't chop my head off with a giant sword okay back to the episode but yeah, I thought he, I thought his character was still like really fun. Um, but I I have to complain about the uh, like former imperial guy, who every time I see him, I just think of him as a character that was created by like somebody in an RPG where the player d- described him in words, like in a paragraph of like what he's wearing and stuff, and he, he thought it sounded cool. But then when you see him like. Uh, you know, when the artist of the group actually drew out what that looks like, it just looks super lame. <laughs> it's like, okay, so he's got these, like, guns, and then he's, like, on an extra gun on, strapped to his chest, and then, like, this little gun and, like, a little arm behind his back, and it's like, oh, man, he's just guns, 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 guns. And then you get, like, the actual depiction of him, and it's like, oh, it's just some dude with a bunch of guns. <laughs> It sounded cool in my head, but... (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Anywho, uh, yeah, let's get to uh, Doctor Who. Right on. So today we are talking about episode 27 of season one, which is the Temple of Evil. And normally I would ask you if you remember what the Cliff Dingler was, but there actually wasn't a Cliff Dingler in this case. True, true. But I do know what's coming next. <laughs> our our previous episode of course, ended ended with a model shot of Tiny Tartus leaving Pyramid <laughs> Island. I'm so glad that we call it the Tiny Tartus. <laughs> this episode actually begins with that exact same shot of Tiny Tartus leaving Pyramid Island. So I guess technically that's our cliff dangler. Like, where did they go next, I guess? And I thought that that kind of implies that they are coming straight here without having a non-canonical adventure in between. But that's just... Sorry, fan fiction yeah. writers. It's, it's just purely implied, though. Like, they, that's never actually explicitly stated. So if you really want, you can still put your fanfic in here. But there are other places <laughs> as well. There you go, fanfic writers. Thumbs <laughs> to me. Let's be Kyle. <laughs> So, of course, the titles come up on the screen informing us that this is the Temple of Evil, this episode. They also inform us that this episode, and of course this serial, was written by John Lucarati, who is a name we have seen before. He wrote the Marco Polo serial. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, like Marco Polo we thought was pretty good, so yeah, see how this one goes. yeah i think i think we've alluded to this in the past um i know that we've alluded to this in the past but i've actually seen this serial that we're about to do um many many years ago now um back when you know like before the doctor's watcher um 
I think when Kyle, Kyle, when you were doing your, your blog. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this was one of the serials that Kyle chose to show me as kind of a, a, a typical, <laughs> maybe typical is the wrong word, but just as a, a, a taste of what Doctor Who, the classic episodes are, are yeah. like. Um, I don't remember it super well. There are some things about it that I do remember, but um, as usual, I will allow you to uh, watch Doctor Who and tell me all about it. <laughs> so the camera starts off after we see the tiny tot TARDIS leaving Pyramid Island. The camera starts off on a close-up of some really fancy jewelry. And as this close-up zooms out into a longer shot, we realize that it is the fancy jewelry of the interior of a tomb. What? And, like, the TARDIS is here. Susan and Barbara pretty soon leave the TARDIS and start looking around the room. And there is a lot to unpack in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we learn that this is actually an Aztec tomb. And we also learn that the dead person here in the tomb... They're like in a sarcophagus. There's not like a, a corpse laying out. But we learn that this person probably died around the year 1430 or so. Barbara says, All these things belong to the Aztecs early period. Susan's like, oh, it's cool that like, you know, all this shit about the Aztecs. And actually, it turns out that Aztec history was one of Barbara's specialties as a history teacher. <laughs> so that's how you know everything in this episode is completely <laughs> historically accurate. Yep. So Susan, like, almost immediately starts exhibiting some casual racism. She says that she doesn't know much about the Aztecs, but what she does know, she doesn't like. And she references... Cutting out people's hearts. Barbara takes on the role of the less obviously racist person who thinks they're woke. <laughs> uh -huh. And she's like, Oh, that's only one side to their nature. The other side was highly civilized. I, I see. I see what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Susan comments that like the Spanish, the Spanish would disagree with that. And I watching at home was like, yeah, like fucking Cortez was so civilized, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Barbara thinks it's tragic how their entire civilization was destroyed. The good as well as the evil. So. What? Yeah. <laughs> She's making noises at this point. Yeah, that's kind of what I was doing watching this. I mean, we just like right out the gate. I guess we we know where we where we stand here. Yeah. I mean, I guess I ended up deciding or thinking that like. For 1964, this was pretty good, I guess. Like, <laughs> Barbara is, like, trying to make the point that human sacrifice isn't the only thing that the Aztecs do. But, like, uh -huh. yeah, by modern 2020 standards, it's pretty clear that the story is going to have some potentially problematic elements, we'll just say. Yeah, I mean, I guess the... Really, the best we can say at this point is it, it could have been worse. Yeah. Which is not saying much. 
Yeah, I did take note of like actor names watching the end credits in in not actually this episode but in the next episode. And yeah, I didn't like do any any research on them, but just based on the actor names, I'm pretty sure there's probably not anybody who had like any relation to any Aztec ancestry or anything. Hmm. But again, 1964 England, like mm-hmm. I won't say that they couldn't have done better, but or that they shouldn't have known better. Tried but, harder, yeah. <laughs> but they just did what everyone else did. Yeah, yeah. But in this whole scene, I haven't even mentioned what is possibly the most problematic part which is that throughout this whole conversation between Barbara and Susan, Barbara is not just looking at, but actually like picking up and fondling and playing with and trying on some of the jewelry in this tomb. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, I guess she's still got British imperialism in her heart. (laughs) You see a tomb with fancy jewelry from a different culture and you take it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's also got this like weird um, 60s feminist moment vibe to it where it's like, oh, of course she's a woman. She can't right. resist like picking up the fancy jewelry. Of course she's going to try it on. It's sparkly and pretty. Yeah, there's definitely some of that vibe to it as well. Yeah. So it's about this time that Susan accidentally discovers that there's a wall panel that opens and Barbara goes through it into the next room. Susan tells her not to go too far and Barbara makes the mistake of saying, It's all right. There's no one here. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, she's then immediately discovered by an Aztec priest who calls for the guards. But as the guards hold her, the priest notices the fancy arm jewelry that she's wearing from the tomb. And we cut back to the TARDIS. Hmm. So now we're about to see how, how good of an insight to check that, uh, that priest could make. (laughs) Uh huh. So here are the TARDIS. Susan and Ian and the doctor are all stepping out. Like Susan, you know, went to collect Ian and the doctor after Barbara left. And the doctor is pretty annoyed that Barbara has gone off on her own again. You know, she keeps doing this. He and Ian keep telling her to not do anything until the men arrive. (laughs) Oh, geez. Yeah. I did want to mention that Ian has changed out of his Marco Polo jacket. He's just wearing like a regular button-down shirt now. So that was uh, a, well, a little bit disappointing. We got, got some good <laughs> mileage out of it, though. Yeah. Susan shows them the wall panel that Barbara went through. But, of course, Barbara is nowhere to be found on the other side of it now. And out on the balcony, as they're all looking around, Ian is like, Doctor! Look at this extraordinary map painting down here. <laughs> His words exactly. <laughs> and the doctor's like, Yes, Dex, they knew how to paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's this great map painting of, of the city in the distance. 
the wall panel closes behind them, and this is the point that they discover that they, of course, cannot reopen the wall panel to get back to the TARDIS. These tombs were designed to prevent grave robbers not to aid in a them. I guess. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. Just then, they are greeted by... Oh, high priest of knowledge who believes them to be the humble servants of the high priest Yataxa. He mentions the woman wearing the bracelet of Yataxa, and Susan's like, oh, he must mean Barbara. She was totally grave robbing some bracelets earlier. <laughs> so Alok and his assistants take them to, to meet Yataxa. As they're, as they're going, Otlock takes a moment to step aside and talk to Tlatoxel, who is very clearly being set up as the villain. He's, you know, kind of the, the slimiest looking of the, of the various actors. And he's got this, like, band of dark makeup painted, like, across his mouth and cheeks and stuff. And, yeah, he, he definitely just kind of exudes the villain vibe. There was, for a second, I wanted to say, and he has, you know, the most British, British accent <laughs> in, in typical, like, you know, this is the villain, um, regardless of where in the, the world the story takes place, trope fashion. But then I was like, wait, no, this is the BBC. Everyone has British accents. Yeah, pretty much. So, Altlock talks to Tlatoxel and they discuss the weather forecast, which Altlock has seen you know, Otlock's the high priest of knowledge, so he's figured out that it's supposed to rain at sunset tonight. Uh, I got the impression in this discussion that this rain is going to end a period of drought that they've been in for a little while. Cool, cool. As a Californian, I can appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're both Californians. We both know <laughs> what that's like. Uh-huh. Tlatoxel is like, right on, we've got this vision of Yataxa here who just showed up. So we'll offer a blood sacrifice at just the right time. Then it'll rain and everything will be cool again. But why didn't we try that? Uh-huh. <laughs> Otlock's like, dude, it's going to rain like with or without a sacrifice. And Tlatoxel says, Does the high priest of knowledge only worship him who has fallen? And not him who has made us strong. Otlock, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otlock says that they both serve the same God. And Tlatoxel's like, Then above all, honor him. He has made us rulers of the land. For this he demands blood. And he shall have it. This is sort of an interesting thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on a total tangent now and say, like in Dungeons and Dragons, there's this thing where like all priests of a certain god have to act the same way. Like, you know, all priests of the, the war god are going to be like rawr, or all priests of the nature god are going to be like la 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 animals. Um, but I always thought it was really fascinating to think like, well, what if different priests have different, you know, just like in the real world, um, different priests have different approaches to right. their, their gods and their realms. Yeah, Otlock and, and Tlatoxel, yeah. you know, they yeah. both they both work at the Temple of Yataxa. They both serve specifically the god Yataxa. Mm -hmm. But 
obviously have very different ways of approaching that. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. But I did want to say, like, for all the human sacrifice wasn't the only thing about the Aztecs that they gave us in, like, the first <laughs> two minutes. Yeah, we went straight to it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely going to be a main plot point here. Yeah. <laughs> so our protagonists meet up with Barbara, and she looks amazing. The costume designers have really done a great job on this serial. She's wearing this awesome headdress that has like this big feather pattern or this this big like flower pattern formed out of feathers. Then she's also got like all these other necklaces and all this other fancy jewelry and Aztec robes and everything. Feathers like all up and down her shoulders and arms. It's like really fancy and awesome. Now, of course, we know nothing about like actual Aztec history, so we're just going to go ahead and assume that this is 100% historically accurate. Because <laughs> why wouldn't it be? Uh -huh. <laughs> Come on, this is Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> so Barbara tells them that the Aztecs believe her to be the reincarnation of Yataxa, who's the dead priest in the tomb. That'd yeah, be cool, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the bracelet that she stole was his symbol. So she's like... Well, it's very useful for us, Doctor. It means we can go into the tomb anytime we want to, get into the TARDIS and leave. And Susan's like, uh, about that. Because, you know, of course they have no way of accessing the TARDIS now. Because they, mm -hmm. they can't figure out how to get back into the tomb. Mm -hmm. The Doctor tells Barbara that... She shouldn't try to figure out how to get in the tomb or like how to open the tomb door because she is the reincarnation of Yataxa and so she's supposed to know everything. And so is Yataxa a priest or a god? What I understood is that Yataxa was a priest who got deified. Gotcha. I don't know if Yataxa was deified before Barbara was reincarnated as Yataxa, or if that act was what deified Yataxa, but that was my understanding. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. So yeah, she's supposed to know everything, so if she tries to figure out how to open the tomb door and is like asking questions about it and stuff, and then the Aztecs suspect that she's not Yataxa, they're going to kill all of us. Otlock. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, there you go. Seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otlock and Yataxa show up at the room at this point. They've finished their side conversation, and they pay their respects to Barb Taxa. Nice, and, nice. <laughs> and canon. they ask her if she'll let her servants roam freely in the town. She says... She goes, servants? Oh, oh right, these guys. <laughs> uh -huh. She says that her handmaiden must stay with her, but the others can go. And after Otlock and Tilatoxel leave, the doctor's like... We now have everything we want, exactly. Barbara's like... We do? Yeah. <laughs> doctor's like... Yes, you and Susan here in safety, and Ian and I outside finding out about the tomb. No, so yeah, basically doctor's like, here we have everything we want. 
our bad 60s feminist moment. <laughs> uh-huh. Hello, this is Dalek Kyle. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. If so, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. If you are not enjoying it, you can leave a five-star review anyway to give Benny and I a false sense of security. Thank you for listening. Tlatoxel has decided that Ian should be the new commander of the army. Because, you know, like, who better to command the army than the servant of a god? Okay, sure. That tracks, I guess. <laughs> Otlock's like, uh, we've already got Ixta. And so Tlatoxel's like, oh, well, let's make him fight for it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> so... Otlock takes the doctor off to the old folks' home, I mean the the Garden of Peace, and Tlatoxel takes Ian to meet Ixta. So is the Garden of Peace like basically the old folks' home? Yeah, we'll see it in a little later in the episode, but yeah, it it is essentially the old folks' home. I mean, it's nice of them, you know, to, to have a place for old folks to go. Uh-huh. And it shows that they're not just all about cutting out hearts. <laughs> they also care about their old folks. But before we get to the old folks garden, we meet Ixta, who is practicing fighting. He's just kind of like swinging a club towards the camera. Cool, cool, like you do. Uh-huh. And Tlatoxel tells Ian that... Ixta has taken many prisoners on the battlefield. He has no fear of death. Cool, cool. So Ixta brings another warrior out, and the two of them start sparring with each other. And I gotta say, it was not very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> They're both, like, moving pretty slowly, and it's very clearly been choreographed in, like, the stage fight sort of way. They probably only had like one or two takes to get this right. Yeah, and that's probably true. Probably, you know, if you move too fast or make it look too rad, then you have a greater chance of screwing it up. So it's like, okay, guys, let's just uh-huh. let's just do the minimum here. <laughs> let's just get through it, and the audience will know what, what's up. They did have the classic move where one guy swings high while the other guy ducks, and then the nice. other guy swings low while the first guy jumps. Nice. And that's always fun. <laughs> Classic. Uh-huh. Ixta actually disarms the other guy and then, like, gets the other guy's weapon and, like, smashes both of the weapons into this shield that's sitting on the table. It kind of seemed like the fighting version of Blue Balls. Like, the sparring got him, like, right up to the edge and he just had to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Sorry about that. That's the best <laughs> metaphor that I came up with while I was writing these notes. <laughs> I'm leaving it in, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) So Toxel makes it clear to Ixta that Ian is a potential rival for command of the army. 
<laughs> Sorry, after that last comment, that just takes a whole new meaning. <laughs> Ixta is like... Then I tell you, Ian, six warriors dwelt here, only I remain. There is no fear of you in me. Rather, I welcome you. For one day, all men shall fear Ixta, the Aztec commander who killed the chosen servant of Yataxa. This guy's a lot, but also... I kind of ship it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple potential ships in this. This is the the less obvious one. We'll get to oh, okay. the other one later in the serial. It's a rare pair. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's slight spoiler. There's like basically a canonical ship coming up. Oh, nice. So the Toxel is like. Well, Cool, you should, like, go get Ian a cool costume, then. Ixta asks if Ian is going to assist at the Rain God ceremony this evening. And Tilatoxel's like, I mean, yeah, you're both chosen warriors, so, like, you've both got to do the chosen warrior job. Cool. Yeah. Turns out the chosen warrior job is to deliver the human sacrifice. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> We cut from this to the Garden of Peace. And yeah, like I mentioned before, it turns out that this is literally the old folks' home. The law in this culture is that you have to retire when you get the age of 52. Wow. Yeah. And then like once you retire, you basically go and live in the old folks' garden. Hmm. Doctor is like, dude, that sounds boring as shit. And Otlock's like, you know, I mean, we, like, come and ask him for advice and stuff. So, yeah. So the doctor's like, oh, man, how much people <laughs> would ask me for advice? The doctor starts talking with Kameka, who is a woman in the garden. And he shows a little bit of interest in the temple architecture. Oh, there's our canonical ship. Yep. Uh, Doctor Who, the Doctor slash Architecture. <laughs> Docitecture. <laughs> so, yeah, he he starts, you know, going off on his Docitecture ship and turns out that Kameka knows a little bit about the architect who designed the temple. Turns out she was actually like knew him well, was close friends with him, but he's dead now. She does offer to introduce the doctor to the architect's son, though, because, like, the son might know some things about it. Mm -hmm. This conversation is interrupted by Ian showing up, and Ian has definitely paid a visit to the costuming department since the last scene. Cool. Yep. He's now dressed in, like, full Aztec warrior regalia, including this awesome, like, helmet-slash-headdress thing that's like an eagle's head just, like, surrounding his whole head, and, like, you see Ian's face, like, inside of the eagle's beak. It's really cool. That's not actually, like, legitimately cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, he looks, like, as good as Barbara does in her Aztec goddess regalia. Cool. So, Kameka leaves the two of them to talk alone, and Ian informs the doctor about his role at the rain god ceremony this evening. Of 
course, Ian is supposed to help escort the human sacrifice to the altar and hold him down. Mm. Ian is not sure if he can do it, but the doctor says that he has to. As they kind of get into this discussion a little bit, it turns out that the doctor is basically invoking Star Trek Prime Directive rules. <laughs> I know we've brought that up before. Uh-huh. You know, he's he's saying that we can't interfere in the society here. Which hasn't stopped them before, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's the kind of rule that you only have to follow when it makes plot sense. Yeah, when the writer decides that uh-huh. it's a thing. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's like, if if they want to do human sacrifices, then like we've got to let them. He... I mean, considering this is like this is written by the same guy who did Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the excuse there? Come uh-huh. on. <laughs> he asks Ian to promise that he'll go through with it, and he says that he's going to go. You know, the doctor says that he's going to go tell Barbara about what's up. But and Ian's like, how many yeah. elephants did you win from Kublai again? <laughs> I did notice that Ian didn't actually say anything. The doctor like I, seems to think that Ian promised, but he never actually did. That's what I do in my Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> Usually I let the other players promise and then the DM gets tired of the scene and moves on. <laughs> I should mention that DM, as we've probably said before, is Kyle. <laughs> uh, my character is a slippery one. Yeah, he really is. So the doctor does go and talk to Barbara and he tells her about the sacrifice that is impending and he urges her also to not interfere and she disagrees and like much more strongly than Ian. He tells her that Ian agreed not to interfere, even though Ian never actually agreed. Ian's like, or the doctor says, they've made him a warrior and he's promised me not to interfere with the sacrifice. But Barbara is like, well, they've made me a goddess and I forbid it. Barbara, no. That's There'll be no sacrifice this afternoon, Doctor, or ever again. The reincarnation of Yataxa will prove to the people that you don't need to sacrifice a human being in order to make it rain. Mm-hmm. She thinks that she's doing good here, but as she explains her motives a bit further, I think she's, she's pretty misguided, actually. Well, plus she's a historian. Like, you would think that she'd be more likely to uh, accept other cultures or especially historical truths. Well, her her thought is that if she can end the practice of human sacrifice now in the 15th century before Cortez and the Spaniards arrive in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. If I could start the destruction of everything that's evil here, then everything that is good would survive when Cortez lands. And yeah, I thought there were a lot of things wrong with that sentiment. So is she thinking that like, if if they can get rid of the human sacrifice, then when the uh, the Spaniards arrive, they won't be inclined to wipe out the civilization. Right, that the Spaniards will just be like, cool with it, huh? And yeah, I I'm could... 
Yeah, that's actually a little more compelling. It's an it's an interesting argument, but I I don't buy it. I'm pretty sure that, I mean, it's problematic. Yeah. I mean, they're still like interfering with another culture, but but it's it's this it's a very interesting kind of like puzzle or or like a, a moral dilemma of like do you destroy or alter one piece of a culture to save the rest of it? Sure, but I think the I think the idea that you're saving the rest of it is what I am mostly taking issue with because I I think that the Spaniards landing in the Americas was going to lead to the genocide of the Aztecs one way or another. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I, you... I don't think there's a way around that. That's just yeah. how European colonialism worked back then. Yeah. And if you accept that, then, then sure. That's, that's a good point. The doctor never actually really gives a good explanation for his invoking of the Star Trek Prime Directive. I think it has to do with the fact that all moments in time are like bugs set in amber, fixed to unfold in the way that they must unfold, and that Cortez did destroy the Aztecs, and is destroying the Aztecs, and will destroy the Aztecs, and Barbara can't do anything to change what must happen, what will happen, and what has already happened. He's like, but you can't... That sounds like a very specific quote, Kyle. (laughs) Well, yeah, I will say that I've been reading Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut recently, and also the graphic novel adaptation of Slaughterhouse-Five by Ryan North and Albert Montes. And yeah, I would definitely recommend those. I didn't realize Ryan North did one of those. Yeah, it just came out pretty recently. It was really interesting. He wrote it. Albert Montes is the artist. That's a that's an interesting choice of a, of a writer for that. But I'm sure that he does it in a different style than his usual, more uh, um, light-hearted <laughs> style. Uh, he yeah, he actually captures Vonnegut's style and voice really well. I think. I mean, you know, a lot of the text itself is like is is Vonnegut's text, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, so the doctor's like. You can't rewrite history. Not one line. Barbara, one last appeal. What you are trying to do is actually impossible. I know. Believe me. I know. Oh. Which I thought was interesting. That kind of implies that the doctor has tried to change the timeline before and failed. Yeah, I like that. Because, you know, all moments are like bugs set in amber. Mm Mm-hmm. Barbara's only response to this is not Barbara, Yataksa. Which gives us a nice moment that we haven't had in a bit, a damn Barbara moment. Damn Barbara. Or is it a damn Yataksa moment? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well played. (laughs) I walked right into that one. (laughs) That evening, Barb Taksa is escorted by a group of warriors out to the platform where the ceremony is going to take place. And the sacrifice to be is already draped over the altar, ready to be sacrificed. Mm. So we don't even need to watch Ian bring them up. 
Um, well, Ian and Nixta are, like, holding him down, basically. Okay. But, like, it's not a struggle or anything. They're just, they're kind of there ceremonially. Okay. Um, Otlock addresses the crowd, uh, which is unseen down kind of, you know, below the edge of the platform hidden in the map painting. And he presents Barb Taxa to the crowd. There's a nice little drum flourish and like a brief sound bite of crowd noise. <laughs> Ian and Ixta are, you know, both at the sacrifice. They take hold of the sacrifice's arms and legs and Tlatoxel starts praying, but before Tlatoxel can bring his knife down and actually strike the sacrificial victim, Barb Taxa stops him, saying, Stop! I, Taxa, command you. There shall be no more blood spilt. The victim jumps up and says, You have denied me honor. And Tlatoxel is basically like, dude, I mean, you could still die. And so the guy basically runs to the ledge and just jumps off and, like, oh. plummets, presumably, to his death. Yeesh. And then a moment later, we get stock footage of storm clouds and thunder and lightning. And Tlatoxel's like, With death came rain. And Barb Taxa is like, Without your sacrifice came rain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Tlatoxel is gonna, I guess, kind of try to go along with things and, or, you know, try to, like, try to fool her or whatever. He's like, oh, hey, are you a god or are you a protector of your handmaiden? Which is, you know, pretty obviously... A, yeah, that's a very leading a, question. Yeah, a trick question or a loaded yeah and barbara's like well obviously i'm a god so tlatoxel is like oh cool well susan like screamed during the ceremony and that's pretty disrespectful so i think we'd probably better punish her barb taxa is like no fuck that she didn't know better <laughs> but tlatoxel really wants to do something Barbara is like, you know, he's got his knife. Right. You know, I hesitate to bring up the metaphor I mentioned earlier, but yeah, he's, he's on the edge here. <laughs> we all remember that. <laughs> so Barb, Barbara is like, well, no one shall be punished for an offense committed in ignorance. And Otlock comes up with a solution. He's like, well, let's just take Susan to the local seminary and like teach her our ways. Barb Taxa is like, fine, whatever. Otlock is like, The great spirit of Yataxa has spoken. And Tlatoxel looks directly into the camera and says, No. No, this is not Yataxa. This is a false goddess! And I shall destroy her. 
dun, dun, dun. And the title next episode, the Warriors of Death appear on screen. <laughs> wow. These are uh, these are some pretty good episode titles, as usual. Uh huh. Yeah, Temple of Evil, Warriors of Death. I think we're nice. hitting hitting some good hits here. My, I'm losing my sports metaphors, but <laughs> <laughs> it's the wrong podcast for that. Yeah, um, listeners, if you want to listen to a better sports podcast, um, listen to Foul Puck Podcast, uh, which uh, some some friends of this podcast. Um, are the hosts yeah they're sort of like our sibling podcast kind of yeah but yeah so that was this episode <laughs> cool cool um yeah this one it's really i think i think i know why you picked this one to uh to share with me when when we were watching some doctor who together because it does seem to have a lot of the kind of the good and the bad it's it's a very 60s um problematic <laughs> problematic fave uh-huh. but it's it's definitely also done with that kind of early sci-fi or i don't know about early because you know sci-fi goes back hella far but it's done with the sci-fi 60s sci-fi flair and um it also like incorporates a lot of the characters and gives them something to do which i always appreciate yeah that is nice i feel like Um, they've been trying to do that a bit more yeah i felt like the uh you know in the the courtroom episode um some of the characters were just sort of in a group kind of glommed together moving from set piece to set piece yeah Um, but yeah uh, here they're they kind of each get their own little thing. Like Ian's off to be a warrior. Doctor is hanging out in the old folks home and trying to figure out how to get back into the tomb. Barbara is being a goddess. Uh-huh. And Susan, I guess, is going to go study in seminary now. Or, you know, be killed. Yeah. One or the other. But, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> something, something for them all to do, which, which, I felt like that the Marco Polo serial did a, a pretty pretty decent job of that too. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's John Lucarati's writing something that he's trying to do. Oh cool. Um Yeah, uh this one I feel like the budget was also like very interesting because on the one hand, like yeah, they did have sets and matte paintings and props and costumes um and the ones that we see are if i remember right you know it's been a while like pretty good mm-hmm. um but yeah. then there's also like a lot of obvious cost saving uh devices like the, <laughs> the lack of an actual on-screen crowd during the the ceremony sacrifice right. thing and you know, like I, I only described Barbara and Ian's costume, but costumes, but like 
of course, all of the Aztecs are obviously in Aztec costumes, and they're all done like, you know, not quite as fancy as Barbara, but they're probably all at least as fancy as Ian. Mm-hmm. Especially the warriors. Like, the, the priests are all a little step down from the warriors, but the warriors are all pretty fancy. Cool. Yeah. Should we move on to the next one? I suppose so. I guess All right. to our listeners, if you want to learn about the Warriors of Death, then come back in two weeks. Yep. See you then. Bye. Bye. Hi, Kyle here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. You have seen her? A vision is with us, our clock. When does it rain? This day, when the sun's fire first touches the horizon to the west. At that moment shall I present her to the people. A vision is with us and shall stand before them. And I, in supplication to the rain god, shall offer human blood. The rains will come. No more talk against us that the gods were against us and brought drought to the land. The rains will come and power shall again be ours.